0: Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Blessings to you tonight. It's a real privilege to get to share I get to launch a new series tonight. We're going to walk through the Bible in roughly a year. We'll see how it goes. That's the plan, at least for right now. And so if you're new to the Bible, welcome. We're glad you're here, regardless of how much you know, how little you know. It doesn't matter. We're thrilled you're here. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is divided into two testaments. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament starts with creation. God speaking everything into existence. And then it ends roughly 400 years before the birth of Jesus. It ends with what we call the minor prophets. And we have this roughly 400 years of quiet called the intertestamental period. And then it's New Testament. It's the Second Testament. It starts shortly before the birth of Jesus. And it ends with a book called Revelations. And Revelations is a book where one of the disciples, who was also an apostle named John, was receiving revelation from God about end times, which is what we call apocalyptic literature. It just means it's what's going to happen at the end. And so we have these two testaments, and it feels a little confusing at times because there's passages that are confusing, and there's different genres. Some are poetry, wisdom literature, history literature. Literature, we've got law, and then we've got New Testament. You have letters, and you have... Um, the Gospels and apocalyptic literature, different types of letters, but it actually has one single narrative of Jesus, of an anticipation of Jesus, of an awareness of the need for a savior and rescuer and deliverer, his arrival, his death, his resurrection, his ascent, and then a promise of his second coming. So Jesus is the narrative throughout the whole thing. Old Testament and New Testament. And so we're going to walk through the whole, Lord willing, the whole Bible in a year. We're going to pick different passages. We can't obviously hit every passage. What feels a little bit tricky is that to do this, we kind of have to grab bigger passages than normal. Today I get to preach on Genesis 1 and 2. This is a big passage, right? So a couple thoughts on that. One, we're going to do the best we can, right? Sometimes the scripture feels a little confusing, And so when that's the case, what we do is we use other scripture to bring clarity where it's less clear. Because I want to be someone who honors the Lord. I want to be someone, as Paul says to Timothy, who correctly handles the word of truth. At the same time, he repeatedly talks about making sure that true doctrine is being taught. But over and over again, he repeats not to quarrel about words and genealogies. So it feels tricky. I say that to say, show us some grace But as we come to these large passages, like I came to Genesis 1 and 2 and I'm reading through it and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much here, right? So much that we can preach on. So many different things. Is it, what do we do with this? Is it really seven 24-hour periods? If it is, how do we support that view? Or what do we do about this man and woman becoming one flesh? What does that mean today? Or what do we do about identity issues that people are struggling with today? What Scripture really say about this? What do we do about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Because some people say it's two different creation accounts. Really, Genesis 2 is just further explaining what happened on this sixth day. And it's one creation. But there's so many different things to hit. And so we're praying, and I'm praying this week, and I'm just asking the Lord, what is it that you want me to preach on? So I'm doing what I sense from the Lord, and I just would say this, is that if, if you have um, strong dogmatic positions and opinions that are contrary to mine. I receive that and want to process it. And, and I hope that, hope that our hearts posture that when we come into this, because this will happen as we're walking through the whole Bible, is Romans twelve ten that says that we will have this brotherly love for each other. We'll love with a brotherly affection and then we'll outdo one another in honor. Those are the verses I want us to cling to as we walk through hard things and maybe as we do a little bit of this theologically. You guys with me so far? All right. So I've got two main points. I really like structure. Very simple. My first point is God is big. Now this is kind of a dramatic understatement. I'm going to unpack that. My second point is that God created man and woman in his image and his likeness. Back to the first point. About 15 years ago, I heard this sermon by a guy named Louis Giglio, and it was called Indescribable. Anybody hear this? Okay. My mind was blown. I've listened to it over and over and over again every time my mind is blown. I'm going to keep listening to it, and I encourage you, write it down, make a note on your phone. Louis Giglio, Indescribable. If you've heard it before, act like it's the first time for self-esteem reasons, act engaged, Ross, Caroline, act like it's new. If you haven't heard it, my desire is that our picture of God would just become so much bigger because your picture of God is the most important thing about you. Did you catch that? Your image of God, what you understand God to be, who you understand he, Him to be, that's the most important thing in your life. So Louis Giglio Here's all these statistics, and I'm, I'm borrowing quite a few of them, but he does it better than I will do it. So I encourage you to research this as well. A couple examples he does. For example, in terms of our solar system, now, for some of us, it's been a few years since we've studied science, and they change it, right? They change which planets are actually planets. Isn't that strange? I don't understand it. But we live in a solar system where we have one star, that's the sun, and we have our planets. Of dwarf planets, we've got moons, we've got meteors, we've got comets, we've got all kinds of stuff, and they resolve, revolve, orbit around the sun, right? This is our solar system, right? Now, a galaxy is much bigger than a solar system. A galaxy can have billions of stars. So, if you were to scale our solar system, so again, that's our sun, all the planets, dwarf planets, the moons. If you scale that whole thing down to a quarter, our galaxy, which is called the Milky Way, is the size of North America. Do you see the scale here? This is the sun, moons, planets. And our galaxy is the size of North America. I don't know about you, that baffles my mind. The most amazing part is that God spoke it into being. Genesis 1 says this, first five verses of Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So he says, let there be light and there's light. Now, this is another, I've got a couple numbers for you. Anybody here, who's numbers people? You know, some of you engineer types some business types. Numbers make a lot of sense to you. I like numbers. I'm not really much of a creative. Sorry, creatives. I've got something for you too coming up, but stay with me, the numbers people. So he spoke this into existence, right? Now, when we measure God's creation, we use something called a light year. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. Did you catch that? Per second. So that means in a year, it travels 5.88 trillion miles. Are you catching this distance? So, for example, for the, for the light to come from the sun to the earth, it takes eight and one-third minutes. Not very long, Right? But for us to travel like, to a nearby galaxy, say for example, there's a the galaxy that is perpendicular to Earth, we have to travel 31 million light years. So we travel 186,000 miles per second for 31 million years to get to a neighboring galaxy. Pretty far away, right? I was flying this past week, I thought, man, just flying from Central America, the Earth is big. You know, when I'm catching the grand scheme of things, not so big. So this this galaxy that I said was 31 million light years away. It contains hundreds of billions of stars. Three billion stars, I'm sorry, in this one galaxy. So the Hubble telescope took a picture. I've got an image of this, of the center of the galaxy, because there's a black hole. And at the center of the galaxy, this is what it portrayed. Do we have that one? Is it? Oh, okay, great. So our eyes looking back there. Isn't that incredible? At the center of this galaxy, the Whirlpool Galaxy, it's the imprint of God. All things speak of His glory. Isn't that amazing? The earth and the sun. Let me give a, a couple more of these for my numbers people. If we were to scale down the earth to the size of a golf ball, well, The sun would be, see if I can get it here. The sun would be a circle, diameter-wise, of 15 feet. So this is the size of the sun in diameter of a circle. This is the size of the earth. Are you tracking with me? So 960,000 earths would fit into our one sun. Basically a million, a million of our planet would fit into our one star. Now, is this blowing anybody's mind? Some of you look like maybe you need coffee. No offense. I understand. No judgment at all. I need coffee sometimes. There's, um, there's a star that we can see at night. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. It's just a word that I've read. I've never actually heard it spoken. I'm not really a science guy. And it's... I pronounce it beetle juice. I'm guessing that's wrong. That's the old movie, right? But, but that's what it's spelled like, at least the phonetic spelling. So this star is 427 light years away. So again, you're imagine, traveling the speed of light, 427 million years to get to it. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, then it says that This star, Betelgeuse, would be the size of six Empire State Buildings. Isn't that incredible? 262 trillion Earths could fit inside this one star. It's not even like anywhere near one of the biggest stars. 262 trillion Earths inside this one star. Let's go to one more. I'm not doing all of them. I, I find them fascinating. There's another star... And again, this isn't the biggest star. I'm not doing the biggest stars because the numbers are so big, they don't make sense in our brains. But another star called Musafi, I guess, it's so big that 2.7 quadrillion Earths could fit inside this one star. 2.7 quadrillion Earths. Now, listen, quadrillion is not a number that we use a whole lot, All right, I don't know. Maybe... National debt, right? We're moving in that direction, but it's a big number, right? A million seconds ago was 12 days. You can fathom that, right? A quadrillion seconds ago was 31 million years ago. That's how big a quadrillion is. So a quadrillion seconds is 31 million years ago. You can go home and do the math if you want to. you got to have a big calculator because it's going to put it in scientific notation for you, right? Exponential. It's 31 million years. And this is what it says. It says 2.7 quadrillion Earths could fit into this one star. And I'm not getting to the biggest star because I have no idea how to say that one. But I say this to say, when we come to God and we're like giving Him advice and our prayers, don't we feel a little bit silly now? <laughs> He, like, he just spoke this stuff into existence. are like, okay, God, I'm going to help you out on this one. Let me, let me tell you how to resolve this situation, Lord. Let me give you some counsel. And so he's he spoken into existence, right? He, let there be light, there's light. He says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Let the waters be gathered. Let there be vegetation. Let the fish of the sea. Let there be living creatures among the earth. He just speaks it into existence. And now for my artistic friends, just think about all the sounds and the frequencies, the colors, the textures, the shapes that you spoke into existence. I remember going scuba diving, not scuba diving, snorkeling, living in Costa Rica. Like the colors I saw, I'm like, I've never seen colors like this before. It's amazing. He just spoke it into existence. So if you're a creative, i invite you just to, be in all of the artistry of the Lord and celebrate. Use your giftings and your creativity. Whatever medium is your medium of art. It's a way of reflecting the Lord and His character, who He is. I've got a slide that just shows the Lord's creative playfulness. He's also playful. You know what this is? Platypus. Come on. Someone, was it Kelsey? He told me that they have like venom. Isn't that what you said? I didn't know that till tonight. But I mean, come on, he's he's creative, he's playful, he's silly, he's fun. He speaks it into existence. Now here's just, if you like theology, I like theology. When we refer to God's will, we actually have to look at the whole of Scripture because there's different types of will. For example, when he says don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet, right? This is a prescriptive will. In the sense that sometimes that will doesn't happen, right? There've been times where I've I've sinned, and that wasn't His will and His plan. But there's something called His decorative will or His sovereign efficacious will, and that means that when He says it, it happens. When He said, "Let there be light," light had to happen. Light could not backtalk. Light could not delay. Light could not hesitate. Light couldn't negotiate. Light had to manifest. So he says, let there be light. Are you catching just a little glimpse of the grandeur and the size of the universe? For me, it just birthed so much awe. And he's so powerful that when he says, let there be light, light has to happen. So that's God is big. Here's point number two. He's created us in his image. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. here's two verses. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Did you notice the use of plural pronouns? Let us create man in our image after our likeness. And why do I address that? It was the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before creation to the present for forever. Forever. Don't have time to go into Colossians 1 gives even more evidence to this. John chapter 1 gives more evidence to this. I say this to make sure that we're not neglecting a component of the Trinity because I neglected the Holy Spirit so much of my Christian life. I've shared before I treated the Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. But it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit before the Bible was even in existence. And we have the same Trinity now and if you profess Christ you have this holy spirit who was hovering over the waters part of creation living inside of us as a seal as a deposit as tc said even interceding for us that's what it says in romans 8 incredible the god who spoke this into existence is interceding for us with moans and groans too deep for understanding what an incredible honor to be created in his image genesis chapter 2 I'm going to try to keep cranking. In verse 18. The Lord said, "It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him." Some translations say a suitable helper. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. So we've got this passage where it says making a helper fit for him. Again, some translations say a suitable helper. This has been a passage that's been used to kind of bash women historically, even make them feel like they're inferior. But the truth is, this suitable helper word, remember the Old Testament was written almost exclusively in ancient Hebrew. This word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. 16 of those 21 times, it's referring to God. Did you catch that? So it's not about anything related to inferiority because he's making it clear they're both created in his image and equality. There's nothing inferior that woman was created out of his rib. Second, equal, suitable helper. My wife likes to say that playfully with me. The question is what does it mean that we're an image bearer? And the more I study, the more I see that scholars love to bicker and argue about things. But surprisingly, there's a consensus that when it says in his image and his likeness, this means the same thing, that we're image bearers. What does that mean? And I believe it means this. I believe it means that we were made for righteousness and holiness, just as the Trinity. We are superior to other beings. We have a higher rationality, emotion, mind and soul, conscience, moral decision-making. We were made for like, covenant communion with the lord and we're also made for what's called vice regency it means we're we're made to have dominion it's actually it's actually humans that rule the earth it's not ai not yet right humans rule the earth we see this god gave adam the assignment of naming the animals verse uh, verse 20 which you know you're like well why did he do that god doesn't need any help he just spoke these things into existence? A sun that's that big, stars that are this big, quadrillion times the size of the earth? Why did he do it? As an image bearer, we are given a role of dominion over the earth. Really, it's more of a responsibility to steward it well. But he gives Adam this role of naming the animals for a couple of reasons. First off, in ancient Hebraic culture, it was an act of authority to impose a name and an act of submission to receive the name. So Adam's exercising his image bearing status. But the second part was, is that as Adam is naming all these animals, he's seeing that he's made uniquely and special. And what does that do? That causes a loneliness to rise up. He sees his need for a suitable helper. It's like the law. We have the law in scripture to protect us and guide us, but it's also to reveal our need for a savior because we can't do it on our own. It brings conviction, but conviction is a gift. So we've got God made male and female in awe, in his image. This is the hard part, is that all humans are created in his image, which we're like, wow, it's amazing, I'm in his image. But those people that make you nuts that get your goat more than anyone else, they're made in his image. They're image bearers. If they're lost, they're valuable treasures in his sight. It's from Luke 15. If they're not lost to professing Christ, then they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Even if they're knuckleheads, they're image bearers. We're called to love them. It's amazing that he would speak this, right? Speak this into existence. He'd make us in his image and you know what? I think about like the Hubble telescope and I think about our scientific research and I'm amazed and in awe by it. But in reality, perspective to God, it's like, it's like little kid toys, like a Tonka toy, an easy bake oven. He's like, that's so cute, right? So I'm in awe. But here's the best part the very best part of it all. I'm hoping that you've caught some of the awe of the Lord. The best part is we haven't even scratched the surface of his love, of his tenderness, of his kindness, of his mercies. We haven't even begun to hit the best part. My wife and I were in Costa Rica last week, and I was reminded of a story. So when we had to get our car repaired, which was all the time, um, I had to drive, the, most of the roads were dirt and potholes. I had to drive an hour to another town called Nakoya, and I'd drop the car off at the mechanics. I'd walk several miles to the bus station. I'd wait for the bus. I'd take the bus back to my town. I'd get off at the bus stop there, and then I'd walk to my house, maybe a mile and a half. They'd call me two days later. We figured out the problem, Adam. Come get your car. We've ordered the part, so I'd walk back to where the bus goes. I'd take the bus to Nicoya. I'd walk several miles, get in my car, drive the hour back. Two weeks later, we got the part. Adam, I drive my car back. I drop it off. I walk to the bus station. I take the bus back. Anyways, so it's like it's eight trips to get one repair done. We were on a pretty tight budget. We we're in a pretty small town. There's not fast food. There's not a lot of gas stations. So my wife would very sweetly pack me lunches. She's a great lunch packer. Well, I've got a bad habit that if I've got that lunch right beside me, I just eat it immediately. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Anybody else? Come on. Thank you. So this bad habit of like eating it before 8.30 in the morning. And one time, I'm feeling really convicted about this. Like, oh, Kel, I got to tell you something. I'm so sorry. I ate it all again by 8.30 so sorry. And you know what she said? This is the part that gets me. She said, do you need me to pack you more food? I'm like, what? I'm expecting, like, I deserve, don't you have any self-control, Adam? Can't you just wait at least till 10 o'clock? Do you need me to pack more? So sweet. So kind, right? It's probably not the response I would have given. I share the story because This God who spoke it into existence, created us in his image, he leads us to repentance through his kindness, his kindness. The one who said, let there be light, and light had to happen. He sent his son to die on the cross. Well, we're still enemies of Christ. Christ died for us, and he rose. He paid the price for our sin. So that we can have intimate relationship with them, and so that we can walk in intimacy and freedom with them, but he also gives us his Holy Spirit right now. So as we sing just, just a chorus, just a little, I just want to invite you just to just, just sit and reflect in that for just a moment that this God spoke it all into existence created you in his image and he's so incredibly big that we should have our minds blown in all of his size but his goodness and holiness and love and kindness and tenderness and mercies are even more beautiful just spend a moment or two just being still just remembering this God loves me and knows me he intercedes for me just rest for just a moment as we sing this last little bit knowing that the God of creation loves you more than you can imagine he gives us Holy Spirit just to empower us to better grasp the depth and the width and the height of his love because we can't even fathom the depth of his love without the Holy Spirit so Lord I just pray as we're just still for a moment Holy Spirit would that peace reign would it flood over us like a river would that gratitude that we sang about just overwhelm us and would love for you and affection for you be our response would we see your kindness and come to you in repentance and humility knowing that you've got open arms like the father and the prodigal son ready to embrace us would we just pause We love you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus.